Okay, so tonight we're looking at Matthew 7, verses 5 and 6. But I want to reread from verse 1. But before that, I want to read to you from Hebrews 5. So if you want to turn there, I'm going to look at verses 12 through 14. Hebrews 5, 12 through 14. Starting in verse 12, it says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. The solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have exercised have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And out of this, I want to say, as we come into the kingdom of God, we grow gradually. Usually a lot of sin falls off us at once. A lot of the outward sins fall off. But we still have a lot of inner stuff that we deal with. We have unforgiveness, and we have anger issues, and bitterness, and whatever. And the Holy Spirit is trying to get these things out of our lives and sometimes all he does is convict us and we quickly repent and it's removed he cleanses us from all unrighteousness he sets us free in that area and we don't trip over it again other times things kind of stick to the edges of our soul and it takes a trial a hard time where he gets like a rubber spatula and he goes along the edges of our soul to pry some things loose because he is determined for us to look just like Jesus. That is what the Holy Spirit wants for each one of us, that we reflect Jesus, we look like him, we talk like him, we act like him, we think like him, we pray like him, we become just like Jesus, we're a reflection of him. And so in this passage it says, by this time you should have been growing to a point of being teachers, but instead you still need someone to teach you some of the basic things. And in verse 14, he says, Those who reach a place of full age are those who have used their senses, they, they have exercised their ability to discern between good and evil, and they're always choosing good. And part of what we're looking at tonight when we look at remove the plank, part of that all is based in discernment. How much can you really discern what is good and evil, what's happening in the life of someone else, what's happening in your own life, and what are you responsible to do about it? And so when Jesus was laying out the culture of the kingdom of God in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, this was something that he gave some attention to because it, it comes up in the body of Christ as we're growing. When we're first born again in the body, we don't deal with these kind of issues. That's why it's in chapter 7 and not chapter 5. We kind of grow into this. But now we're at a place where we should be able to be walking as mature sons and daughters of God, making the right decisions at the right time, interacting with each other in a godly way, in a Christ-honoring way. And so part of that is what we're looking at tonight. So now if you will turn to Matthew 7. And again, I want to start from verse 1. Last week I taught from verses 1 through 5, and tonight we'll focus on verses 5 and 6. But he starts out saying, Judge not that you be not judged. 
For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Hey, uh, guys, can y'all get a couple of chairs for our brothers here? Thank you. So you guys keep, keep headed wherever you're headed, but chairs are going to follow you and catch up with you. Thank you so much. It's so nice to have young men around. Help out us older folk. They might walk to Austin, so you just keep walking, Cameron. There. Okay, so uh, thank you so much, guys. Let's look back at the scripture. Verse 3, he says, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank or the board or the beam, whatever your version says, in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck out of your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. So before trying to help others with their sins, Jesus says we need to deal with our own sin. We need to examine ourselves before God and repent of anything that displeases Him. This is a prerequisite for judging others. It's the basic first prerequisite. We've got to have dealt with our own sin first. Jesus said in John 8, He who is without sin, let him throw the first stone. So last week I said that we're not to judge others, and the judging I was speaking of, I hope you caught it all, is when we accuse, criticize, condemn, or slander other people. That is never redemptive. It doesn't build up. It doesn't edify, it doesn't restore, it always tears down. There is a time to judge. And someone mentioned that to me later. I've heard that there is a time to judge. There is a time to judge. But only after we've dealt with our own sins. To redemptively judge, that means it results in redemption, salvation, further maturing in the kingdom. To judge that way, our motivation must be love. It's not accusatory. It's not looking for faults. It's not criti being critical. Our motivation is love, and our goal must be restoration. It's not to gossip. It's not because we know more than someone else knows and we want to talk about somebody or some situation. It's always restoration. In this kind of judgment, we deal directly with the person. We don't share damaging information about him or her with other people. So that's what redemptive judgment is, is when you have discerned that there is a sin and it is causing severe problems in that person's life, their spiritual life, and you want to help them because you love them and you want to see them restored, you want to see them walking righteously before the Lord, then you will work directly with them. You won't share that information out anywhere else. Jesus did not condemn sinners. He condemned hypocrites. Hypocrites excuse their sin while they condemn other people. They don't discern their own hypocrisy because they cannot perceive their own flaws. Pride is at the root of hypocrisy. We cannot be hypocrites and holy at the same time. Let me say that again. We cannot be hypocrites and holy at the same time. God resists the proud, 
but he gives grace to the humble. God's children who want to be holy, hopefully that's all of us, see their sin and plead with God for forgiveness and deliverance. They realize their first responsibility is toward their own righteousness, their own walk with the Lord before they're looking outward at all. It's easy to, to hate the sin and its consequences that we see in someone else's life and yet love our own sin. One time my father was praying with someone for deliverance from, from a spirit of addiction, spirit of bondage. It's written about in Romans 8 that there is a spirit of bondage. We would call it today probably a spirit of addiction. He was addicted to smoking. And dad was um, casting out that spirit of addiction and it resisted, and the Spirit spoke through the man's voice, and he said, you can't cast me out. He loves me. And so Dad stopped the deliverance session, and he said to the man, is this true? And he said, well, yeah, I actually do love smoking. I really don't want to give up this habit. And Dad said, well, then, you know, I can't minister deliverance to you if you want to hang on to your sin. So God wants us not just to abhor the sin in others, which we find quite easy at times, but to abhor the sin in us. He wants us to hate sin altogether. Psalm 97 verse 10 says, You who love the Lord hate evil. Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride, arrogance, the evil way, and the perverse mouth I hate. There are two things that are often a plank in the eyes um, of believers, and they prevent us from judging righteously, and they are hypocrisy and spiritual pride. Hypocrisy is pretending to be something that we're not. It's living a lie. I think we all know what hypocrisy is. Spiritual pride causes us to look down on others while we take pride in our maturity or our spiritual performance. We assume a superior position when we judge other people. And until we put our sin to death, we are not qualified to reprove sin in others. Look at David's prayer in Psalm 51. Let's turn there. We're going to read a number of these verses. Psalm 51. You remember what happened here. I'll tell you the backstory quickly. David had sinned with Bathsheba. He had taken someone else's wife. Bathsheba got pregnant. So he had her husband sent to the front lines of battle so he would be killed so that he could take Bathsheba. So it was adultery, it was murder, he lusted. There was a variety of sins involved in that. And for a year, he didn't repent. He didn't do anything about it. He just took Bathsheba in, into his harem. Until a prophet, Nathan, went to David, told him a story about someone taking something that's not his, and then he said, you are the man. You have taken what is not yours. And David was smitten in his heart. And he began to repent. And that's where we get this psalm, Psalm 51. So verses 1 through 3, he says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Look at verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Hyssop is a branch. It's, a, it's kind of a bush. It grows out of 
the walls, not only out of the ground, but it grows out of walls. And hyssop, they would take and beat things with the hyssop. And what he was saying is, beat the sin out of me. Purge me with hyssop. He didn't say in the first few verses, Lord, according to my righteousness, forgive me. He said, Lord, according to your loving kindness, according to your tender mercies, because you are so good, because you are so merciful, forgive me according to that. Let that be the standard by which I'm forgiven. And then in verse 7, purge me with hyssop. Beat the sin out of me. I want to be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Verses 9 and 10. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. So what David was saying is forgive me, cleanse me. Blot out my iniquity, set me free from my sin, wash it out of me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, but not before then. We can't teach until God's already dealt with us. So you want to aspire to be a spiritual leader? Let the Holy Spirit deal with you. Deal with your sin. Have time on your knees before the Lord. This elderly lady called me a few weeks ago and she said, You know, I did today what you've been telling us to do in Sunday school, because I I mentioned from time to time the importance of praying on our knees. She said, I got out of my bed, and I got on my knees, and I prayed for a while, and then it was hard to get up. (laughs) But she did it. You know, if people that are close to 100 can do it, we can do it. There There is a posture of humility when we assume a posture of humility on our knees. Our heart also assumes a posture of humility. And sometimes as we're dealing with our own sin, we need to not just simply say, Lord, please forgive me. I'm sorry. I blew it. I I did that again. I'm so sorry. We need to plead with the Lord. Lord, don't just forgive me. Deliver me. Beat the sin out of me. I don't want to keep falling in this same area. I want to be delivered. I want to be free. I want to walk in righteousness and holiness then I can teach transgressors their ways. But Lord, if I keep falling into the same patterns of sin, how can I teach anybody else? So we're growing into maturity in the kingdom of God. Part of that is that we deal adequately with our sin. We really do repent. We really do turn from it. We really do get free and we walk in that freedom. Once we're forgiven, cleansed, and we have a clean heart, we have a steadfast spirit, then we can teach transgressors the ways of God and we can convert sinners to Him. Again, Matthew uh, 7, verse 5, if we can go back there. Matthew 7, 5. So again, Jesus says, hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. He didn't say, then you'll see clearly to remove the speck out of the eye of every acquaintance you have, and the lady that sits in front of you in church, and the guy that lives next door to you, and the person you met one time in the grocery store. He says, then you can get the speck out of your brother's eye. 
To remove the speck from another's eye, we need a close relationship with them, like a family member, a close friend. We're not to correct mere acquaintances. We don't have the relationship for that. The necessity of closeness does not just suggest a nearness of relationship, but also a moral nearness, which means we have a place in their affections and their esteem. It is earning the right to speak into someone's life. We can't just assume a right to speak. We can't speak in love to them, hoping to restore them if we're towering over them in pride, or if we're so aloof and distant that they don't sense our genuine care. So like I said last week, we can offer correction in very close relationships or to someone over whom we have spiritual authority. Anyone can condemn, but can they save? The world can condemn, believers condemn, anyone can condemn. That's easy because we can all see sin. But can we save? Can we lay down our lives in love, prayer, and faith for somebody? Can we target an area of need that we see in someone and then fast and pray and ask God to supply what's lacking in their life? That's part of laying down our lives for them. Can we persevere in prayer until that person is free and whole and walking in holiness? Can we do that? Because that's what the Lord expects of us. Jesus judged men in certain situations, but his motive was always to save. When our love towards someone is such that we can say, just like Jesus, I will never leave you nor forsake you, then our discernment will be perfected because we're willing to walk a long road with them. We're not just a temporary relationship, shallow, no commitment. It's a depth of relationship. In South Africa, one of my friends, his working partner committed suicide. And he walked a road with that family for a full year. He had his own family, but he would leave his family every evening and he would go and sit with that family for at least an hour or two every night just to help them get over it for a whole year. He walked a long road with them. That's part of restoration. It takes time, it takes commitment. It's love that gives us pure motives in judgment, the kind of love that says, I will never leave you. I won't forsake you. I'm going to walk this with you until you get set free. In the kingdom of God, unless you are committed to die for people like Jesus was, then you're not permitted to judge them. So it's a high standard, isn't it? I'm going to say that again. In the kingdom of God, unless you are committed to die for people like Jesus was, then you're not permitted to judge them. See, I've heard people say, I can judge because Jesus judges, and he lives inside of me, so I can judge too. Yeah, but Jesus promised he'd never leave or forsake, and he died for that person. We've got to be willing to, too. Turn to Romans chapter 2. We, we looked at this passage last week, so I'm, I'm only going to read the first verse this time. Romans 2, verse 1. There's a lot of crossover between this lesson and last week's lesson, and, and if... If we could have fit it into one lesson, that probably would have been good, but it was just really too much information that we, we couldn't do that. We felt it was important to include all this. 
Romans 2 verse 1, he says, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. The word here for judge is krino. It's the Greek word krino. It means to assume the office of a judge, to condemn, to execute judgment on someone. And there are some characteristics of a person who judges others. Most of these are in your book. He forms opinions with only a few facts. He doesn't get the whole picture. He just gets a few facts and forms an opinion. He shares his conclusions with people that are not related to the problem or the solution, which means gossip. He's just sharing it with people. He has not yet overcome the same problem or a similar problem. He rejects the sinner as well as the sin. He reminds God of the offender's sin with accusatory negative prayers. I cringe when I hear people pray this way. Lord, you know he did this. You know how he lied. You know how he stole. And I'm thinking, you're just accusing him before God. That is uh, the characteristic of a person who judges. He reminds God of the sins of the offender. And then lastly, he judges with no intention to be involved in the guilty person's life. He doesn't plan to walk a road with them. He doesn't plan to stay committed until there's restoration. He, he can see the sin, and he tells other people about the sin, but he's not committed in love to that person. So there are two Greek words that are used for the words discernment and proper judgment. And they are diakrino, which means to distinguish and onocrino, which means to investigate. Here are some of the characteristics of a person who distinguishes and investigates. You can see the difference between these two. First, he asks questions until he understands all the factors. He gets the whole picture. Then he looks for root causes and motives for the problem. He accepts the offender as he is, and he waits for the right time to approach the problem. He humbly looks for a comparable problem in his own life. He gains the confidence of the person and shares how he overcame a similar problem. And then he assumes responsibility for restoring the person. He is willing to be involved in the healing process. That takes maturity. That takes taking time out of our lives to help one another grow into maturity in Jesus, into a place of wholeness and healing. Mature believers spiritually discern situations. They have relationships of love and trust that allow for open personal sharing. I'm hoping this talks about all of us. They humbly approach those in sin and admonish them gently. They are motivated by love. Their goal is to see God's kingdom and glory released fully in that person. To have a ministry like this to others requires preparatory prayer, sensitivity, and godly wisdom. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit will only reveal what is wrong in others to us for the purpose of intercession, never for the purpose of criticism or accusation. When we see sin in others, we are always to pray. We are sometimes to confront, and we are never to gossip.
Only God has the ability to judge justly as only he knows all the contributing factors of any situation. So of course he's the just God. And vengeance is him. If we get revenge, we are getting into his area. It actually moves us into witchcraft because we are trying to take what is God's authority, what is his right, when we try to get our own revenge. It's a dangerous place to be. It's a dark place to be. We need whatever happens to us, we need to embrace the pain. Don't just resist the pain. Embrace it because you only forgive to the level that you feel the pain. So go ahead and embrace the pain. Hurt. Cry. Beat your pillow to death. And then offer the pain to the Lord and let him take that. Let him heal the pain. Let him heal the hurt that's deep inside. But don't get your own revenge. He says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. It's never our place to repay. Okay. So God places a whole lot of emphasis on loving one another in the scriptures, a whole lot in the New Testament. And if we will love each other with all of our hearts, if we will strive for peace with each other, if we will build up the body of Christ, then we won't be wanting to judge or get revenge. All of the dark side we're going to want to get as far from as possible. We're children of the light. We want to walk in the kingdom of light, the kingdom of love. Okay, look at uh, chapter 7 again, Matthew 7, verse 6. So the Lord says, Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. To the Hebrews, dogs and swine were unclean. They could not use them for food or for sacrifices to God. And in our homework, we looked up a couple of scriptures and, and looked at what is you know, what's considered a dog. So I think you all have that in your homework. But it's basically that title is given to people of worthless character or those outside the camp of God's people. So when Jesus said, don't throw your pearls before swine, he was saying, do not take the beautiful gems of the gospel and throw them before mockers. Don't share the truths of God's word with those who will ridicule them. We need to discern whether or not a person is ready to hear truths before we share them because some will resent our concern and trample our admonitions under their feet. Have you ever felt like you just really wanted to witness, you wanted to share the truth of God's Word, and you just kind of had a check whether or not you should do that, but you overrode the check and you shared anyway? And later you thought, man, that was trampled underfoot. Last week I was in a household where someone is sick and someone in the household is an atheist. He doesn't live there. He had come to visit. And everything in me wanted to witness, talk about Jesus, talk about God, and you know, challenge him on his atheism and all that, everything in me. And so I just kept asking the Lord, do I speak? What do I say? How do I say it? What do you want me to say? I'm listening to him while I'm listening to the conversation. 
And he just said, no, don't say anything. And later I thought it would have been, you know, I would have been giving the precious gems of the word of God, which is very precious to me, the truths of the gospel. I would have given it to someone who would have just trampled under it. We've had, I mean, over it. We've had conversations before. I know what he's like. So we need to discern that. And Jesus was saying that. Proverbs 23 verse 9 says, Do not speak in the ears of a fool for he will despise the wisdom of your words. In the book of Proverbs, every time fool is mentioned, you can put in place of that the word rebel, because a fool is a rebel. And that's what it usually means in Proverbs. So I'm going to read it that way. Speak not in the ears of a rebellious person, for he will despise the wisdom of your words. Turn with me to Proverbs 15. Proverbs 15. Then read verses 31 and 32. It says, The ear that hears the reproof of life will abide among the wise. He who disdains instruction despises his own soul. But he who heeds reproof gets understanding. You know, we're talking about being on this side of those who judge and those who discern and knowing when to speak and when not to speak and how to speak and how to restore. But sometimes we're on the other side. And someone speaks a, a word to us. And the scripture says, if someone instructs you, don't let your head reject it. Let it be as an anointing oil upon your head. Receive it as a gift. And that's also part of humility, that we can hear truth from one another. So again, verse 32 says, He who disdains instruction despises his own soul. Let's not disdain instruction. Let's receive instruction from God. Let's receive instruction from those who are mentoring us or discipling us. Let's receive instruction from the pulpit on Sunday and from our ABF leaders, our College leaders, young, young adult leadership, let's receive instruction everywhere we can. That is wisdom for us. Let's be taught. Let's be humble. Let's seek after truth. If we start resisting truth from people and we resist the truth of the word, then we start resisting the truth of the Holy Spirit and what he wants to say to us. So we can't afford that. He who heeds reproof gets understanding. We all need reproof at times. We all need instruction. Let's all be willing to be taught. And then lastly, Proverbs 27. Verses 5 and 6. Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Open rebuke is better than love that's carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Committed love will sometimes include correction. When we care enough to confront a serious sin or a weakness in the life 
of a close friend, we are proving our love. Jesus did not condemn sinners. He condemned hypocrites. He numbered himself with sinners. He bore our sin, our sorrows, as Isaiah 53 tells us. And this is the humility we need as we seek spiritual maturity and holiness. We can get alongside sinners. Let's not get alongside the hypocrites. You know, Jesus hung out with sinners, with prostitutes, with tax collectors, but the hypocrites, man, he denounced them. Let's not be in that camp. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for the blood of Jesus that is more powerful than all of our sin. It breaks the power of sin off of our lives, not only cleanses us from sin, past sin, present sin, future sin, but it breaks the power of that sin so that we don't have to sin anymore. Lord, would you clothe us again tonight with your righteousness? Would you fill us with your love and meekness so that we can express humility, discernment, and unconditional love to each other and to the other people that you bring into our lives. Show us when we're to share our testimonies and pearls of truth, and when it's to our wisdom to refrain from sharing. Would you help us, Lord, as we seek you to get all the planks, all the sin, all the rubbish out of our lives, so that when the time comes, we can help those that are dealing with any kind of sin, that they would welcome our assistance and we'd have the wisdom, the discernment, and the love to minister effectively to them. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in here. I thank you that we're all growing together in the kingdom of God. Lord, would you more firmly establish your kingdom in each one of us. I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.